Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This is Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined in the shed all the way from Bahrain by Joe Saywood. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon from Bahrain. Yeah, you have to say it like that, don't you? Bahrain. Otherwise, you're not posh. I don't know if it's posh, otherwise you're not Arabic. Mind you, I'm not Arabic, so I could probably just say Bahrain like everyone else does. Well, no, because I think you've chosen your path, because you say Leclerc. I think you also must mm-hmm. say Bahrain. Very good. Yeah, I that's... shall change all my, all my pronunciations from now on. Yes. And I shall, put, I shall put verbal umlauts on them too. Good. And we had, um, obviously, a, a very event-packed uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. And this Sunday, we've also got the Shakir Grand Prix. Indeed. Is that we what they're calling it? Without Lewis Hamilton. Yes. So I guess that's the first bit of news to jump into. We woke up this morning to find out that Lewis Hamilton has tested positive for COVID-19, thankfully with some mild symptoms. So obviously, everyone's wishing him well. But the instant thought is, A, who drives that car? B, who else was he in contact with? Because he was fist bumping and cuddling people on the podium. Yeah, I, d- I don't know the answer to, um, you know, it's all rather new and they'll have to work out all the contacts. In fact, they said, the FIA said in a press release that all the contacts have been isolated uh, already. Um, I don't know if that will include some of his own crew in the pits. I'm sure that he uh, he's had some contact with some Mercedes people, but we'll have to see what that actually means. Although, to be honest, I can't see you because I'm not allowed into the pit. So um, I'll just have to be, you know, find out what we're told is happening. So 
Um, it, it's unfortunate, you know, for um, for Lewis, but he has, you know, they've got both championships done, so it's a good opportunity for Mercedes to try somebody else. Well, I, I was I was saying a few races back when the championships seemed completely sewn up, it was only going to take one positive COVID test to really hurt championship chances. So luckily for him, that's all done and dusted. But can we play the game of you are Toto? What's your play here? What do you do? Well, if I was Toto and they were stinking legs, I would, <laughs> I would probably try and get George Russell <clears throat> out of the Williams and into the Mercedes just for a couple of races to see how he does. Um, but that would depend on Williams's goodwill. And, and to be quite honest, Williams, uh, if you take George out of the equation there, and you look at all who they've got as their test drivers and uh, all the rest of it, um, you wouldn't want to do it because basically everybody apart from George is there on money deals and um, none of them are really uh, in a position to score a point, which is, well, they want more than one point. But, you know, if they, if they manage to score, uh, I think it's four points, which is quite unlikely, I have to say. Um, now, who is it? I've got to work out who's got what at the back end of the grid. Um, there's somebody with two points, isn't there? Um Alfa Romeo have got four. Must be Haas with two. Yeah, Haas has got two. So, um, well, Haas is going to be, uh, they'll only have Kevin this weekend. They'll have Pietro Fittipaldi in the other car. So they're a bit hobbled. So uh, if you're Williams, you're not going to give up George because, you know, you've you've got the potential. If you can get three points, that's that's a lot of millions of dollars. No, that's absolutely true. And the other reason I wouldn't, if I was Toto, if I really liked George Russell... I almost wouldn't want him to have that poison chalice of two races at the end of the season. We've not really seen anyone jump in and do well. Paul DeResta, obviously very limited time at Williams. I'm thinking of Kovalainen. Hang on, hang hang on, hang on. Nico Hülkenberg's got into cars twice and scored points. So I don't think it's, you know, it's that hard. If you're a new boy going in, it's ridiculously impossible. So um, the best thing to do is to have somebody who knows the car in other words, one of the test drivers, one of their uh, simulator drivers who know all the systems that they use and all the rest of it. They you don't have to learn. So I would think it's going to be restricted to that group. I would think probably Stoffel van Dorn will probably end up doing it. We've got Before we go to Stoffel, we've got a brilliant chat room comment here from Khalid who says, um, Hey Spanners, can you ask Joe if he can pass me Toto's digits because my granny is available and she could win <laughs> in that car. Um, oh, according to the haters. Okay, so that's a really good... It's a good point. Didn't Paul DeResta make a comment along the lines of a haddock could win in that car, it's on rails? Stick Paul DeResta in. Yeah, but if if it was such a great car, how come Botas looks average in it from time to time? You know, the fact is that I think this will show that, that it's not just the car. I don't think that Stoffel van Dorn is going to jump in the car and beat Valtteri Botas straight away. I don't think it is the car. You know, you've, got, you've got to give some respect to Lewis Hamilton. He's in a class of his own. And if you look at, if you look at Red Bull, it's the same thing happening there, that Max Verstappen is everyone – everyone's busy jumping up and down on Alexander Albon's head, and everyone forgets that Max Verstappen is an extraordinary talent, and Alex isn't doing a bad job. You know, he's crashing because he's under pressure, but he's pushing, and he's – you know, I just think it's unfair um, – and maybe that's the way of the world in Formula One, but it is unfair to be trashing a driver when they're up against one of the best. You know, I'd like to see I'd like to see Max Verstappen against Lewis in the same cars, but I don't think we'll ever see that. 
So I don't think anyone's denying that the Mercedes is a good car, but obviously Lewis Hamilton is wringing its neck as well. Um, but is, yeah. is it fair? I think this is fair, is that if a driver goes in and doesn't instantly impress in two races in a Mercedes, doesn't make you a bad driver to not jump in and, and win. And by the same token, if you jump in and win is on the cards, that, that doesn't mean that anyone could have won in that car. But I know everyone's going to be jumping to all sorts of conclusions either way. Yeah. I mean, listen, in the world we live in today with social media, there's a zillion opinions out there and not all of them are fully valid, I have to say. But, you know, everyone has an opinion. Everyone thinks that their opinion is how it should be. Um, And, you know, uh, we just have to live with that because uh, the days when uh, only supposed experts had a voice are gone. Everyone can give their tuppence worth. I know. Sometimes it's worth less than tuppence. You, you can sit in a shed with a microphone and a bunch of people will listen to you and you can say stuff. That's the world we live in. Oh, I'll tell you what here. Look, this. Um, how much is a pint in uh, Bahrain? Can you get a beer in the hotel or, or not allowed? Is it not allowed? How do I know? Oh, because you're teetotal. I'm not teetotal, but I don't drink pints. I've got somebody said that you, uh, somebody I spoke to said that a pint costs ten quid here. Oh, okay. And I said my response was, "Well, what does it cost in England? I don't know." Oh, uh, yeah, I think it's about a fiver. But look, only say that because Jeff Light has chucked a, a, a five dollars in the super chat. We'll send that over to you, Joe, for half a pint in your Bahraini hotel <laughs> because he wants to ask the question. What does Joe think about the possibility of Jamie Chadwick for Williams and George for Mercedes? Now, I think Jamie Chadwick doesn't have a super license. But is there a chance of a surprise or is it is it going to be fairly boring, do you think, the reserve drivers? I think it I think you have to be sensible about who you put in there. And though, therefore anybody who spent a lot of time uh, either driving the car on the track, which George has done in tests, or in the simulator, which Stoffel has done a lot of, um, I think it's it would be completely insane to throw anybody uh without you know, if you look at what Hulkenberg did uh, with Racing Point, he had a lot of things to learn, but he's a very experienced driver. So, you know, I could imagine that, that Toto might even say, well, you know, why don't we put the Hulk in? But um, I think that's unfair on the people whose job it is supposed to be the reserve driver. So I would expect to see... Um, Stoffel, or I think the other one's Gutierrez. I get, I get a bit confused sometimes because they have lots of um, other people who do stuff that we don't necessarily hear about. Um, there's a bunch of people who work in the simulator. I think um, Nick DeVries does a bit of simulator work as well, but I'm not sure. He'll have a super license because he was a Formula 2 champion, wasn't he? So, But I, don't, I can't see him being put in. It happened at Racing Point, though, didn't it? Because Hulkenberg wasn't the reserve, the named reserve driver. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. But, you know, sometimes if you want the best part, the thing is, it doesn't ultimately matter to Mercedes who goes in the car because they've won the championships already. So it's a very good opportunity to to try something out, which is why I think the best opportunity from Toto's point of view, we'd put George up against Valtteri and see who did best, you know, um, which I think would would be probably on their wish list, because obviously George is next in line for one of those drives in the future. So that would be why you want to do it. And then you can see why Williams wouldn't want to do it. And therefore you have to look elsewhere. So we'll see what they do. But I think probably it's more likely to be one of the one of the test crew. So, But with Stoffel van Dorn, if he jumps in, is this a genuine opportunity for him? Because it seems like his, his F1 chance has passed. Well, there's no reason why his F1 chance 
should have passed ultimately, apart from the fact that he was up against another person who uh, at that time was, was a very special driver, Fernando Alonso, you know, trying to excel as a new boy against Fernando Alonso is a major ask. And Stoffel didn't do a bad job. It's a bit like Kevin Magnussen didn't do a bad job. or well, Sergio Perez didn't do a particularly bad job at Williams. It's just, uh, sorry, at, at uh, McLaren. It's just circumstances mean that if somebody else comes along who they consider to be better, these young drivers get booted out. So, you know, um, it, it's easy sitting at home and tweeting away about who's an idiot and who's not. But none of these people are idiots. It is. It's That's super easy. Like, I, I do it all it the is. time. It's like, it's. No. I know, but, but but there's a zillion people out there who, who yeah. listen to David Croft and then have an opinion about you know what's what's uh, who's going to be the world's greatest F1 driver. It doesn't make their opinion valid. It just means they have a voice. Um, I'm not saying that all opinions aren't valid because some are well thought through and all the rest of it. But but you know one has to take into account that an awful lot of it is people just spouting from the, from the hip. Uh, final point, I think from. Oh, I've lost it. I'm so sorry. Uh, Nick, Nick something on there. Beg your pardon, Nick, um, who suggests that. Here we go. It's um, Nick, Nico Demu says, uh, should teams be allowed to overlook their reserve driver when they need a short term replacement? Like, wouldn't it be better and fairer to have a prepared reserve driver? And that is your nominated driver for the season. And, and, and a follow up, Joe, from me. Shouldn't all F2 drivers really be of the standard, especially the top ones, where they can just jump, jump into an F1 car? No. Um, well, let's let's deal with those in order. Uh, first of all, the, this year there was a, an, a it wasn't a rule, but it's sensible in the times of COVID not to have ten um, reserve drivers traveling around the world. So McLaren and Renault, and I mean a lot of them are sharing the same. Uh, reserve drivers this year. I can't remember off the top of my head who they all are, but I know that uh, Renault and McLaren have got the same test drivers, uh, same reserves. So, um, and that was simply to stop the you know more people travelling to get it down to the absolute limit. So, um, I mean, I don't know. To be honest, I I don't know um, what's going on inside the paddock. I don't know if Stoffel's been at the races or not. I, what I get is what I see on television because I'm not allowed in and. Uh, well, it's it's really annoying, um, you know, and, and sometimes you get people. Uh, we had a fantastic one yesterday where someone misidentified Jos Verstappen as seen talking to to um, to Toto Wolff, and 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 uh, Jos Verstappen tweeted from Holland that this was rather unlikely because you know. So if you've got people in there who um, can't recognise what Jos Verstappen looks like. Or, it was um, it was Meadows, you know, the, Joe. The, 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 I know who it was. <laughs> but he was obviously doing 12 things at the same time and looking the wrong way. But um, don't worry, I have ribbed him about it. But, you know, the, the fact is that, you, you know, you need to have, um, if you're going to get good stories out of Formula One, you need to have people who know how to find good stories in the paddock. You can't do it from outside. We're trying our best, but there's there's a limit to what we can do. Well, there you go. And someone has uh, chipped into the Joe Saywood booze fund, which has apparently become a thing. Um, and I think that's 2,000 yen from Callum. Thank you very nice. 2,000 yen, that's all right. Yeah. How much is that? 
Not a lot. Is that enough for a bottle of wine? <laughs> Thank you, Callan. That's That's tw- it's, tw- it's 20 quid, yeah. I mean, it's, it's good for a bottle of wine in Europe, not in Japan. It's more expensive there. For, for me, that's good enough to order the second cheapest wine so you don't look like a cheapskate, but also you don't want to admit <laughs> that, you know, to you, you know, it's, it's all going to go down anyway, regardless yeah. if it's... Actually, I, I haven't looked at the latest exchange rate of the yen <laughs> to the pound as I'm not going there this year, but it's usually about 100, so. So Anil Palmer on Twitter, a friend of the show, has come up with, I think, the definitive solution here. Joe uh, Perez to Mercedes, uh, Vettel to Racing Point, Sainz to fill in at Ferrari, Ricardo to fill in at McLaren and Alonso to fill in uh, at Renault, all in time for Friday morning. I think that shuts down the conversation. He's solved it. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen. Good. (laughs) Where should we go next? And I think while we're talking about uh, substitute uh, drivers, what do we know about the, the Haas substitute driver for Roman Grosjean what do we know about him well if I remember correctly and I don't think anybody's ever ever writes this stuff but I'd have to check because it's only in the back of my mind and sometimes the the dark corridors back there get a bit confused but I think his father was a Grand Prix driver too because he's not his name is not actually Fittipaldi right he uses Fittipaldi because that's his mum's name like Senna but yes but I think you'll find Unless I've got him mixed up with his brother, I think you'll find that his father is Max Pappas, who is was a Grand Prix driver in his day, huh. who married Emerson's daughter. Now, if I've got that wrong, I apologise unreservedly, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, but I haven't had a chance to check. I thought about it this morning as I was off having a, a bit of a morning off when Lewis decided to get tested negative <laughs> and Mazepin was confirmed at Haas. You know, you, you just have a bit of a break and everything goes wrong. And I went off into the middle of the desert looking for a tree. And can you believe how difficult it is to find a tree in the middle of the desert? Uh, I'm going to guess really difficult or surprisingly easy. Well, I never found it. Right. All I found was oil wells, lots of oil wells out there. It was horrible, actually. It was it was like a massive industrial area um, with oil wells and piping going all over the shop. But um, well, that's, that's the only why... nice bit was yeah. you're not allowed in. <laughs> well, tell you what, once electric cars come in, Joe, you'll be happy. All those oil fields will be gone. It'll be fine. Well, actually, I was running out of fuel at one point. And I said, wouldn't this be ironic um, if I ran out of fuel in the middle of an oil field? <laughs> right. Let's stick with uh, Fittipaldi then. Uh, Fittipaldi, Chum- yeah. Well, he's a, he seems like a good, good nice kid. Um, seems to be a decent racing driver. We'll see. So, I mean, is he is he a driver that you think is, is on there, like on quote unquote on merit? Or is this something where he's been placed with the team and... And now he's oh, it's a bit driver. of both, for yeah. sure. But you, you know, the Fittipaldi family is not rolling in cash. You might think it is, but I don't think there's a huge amount there. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of merit involved, and uh, we'll see how he does. Is, but, is um, De Resta a Fittipaldi know, as well? What is De Resta related to them as well? Yeah, he comes from Scotland. Why would he be related to a bunch of Brazilians? I don't know. I'm obviously getting that mixed up. You are getting that mm. mixed up, yes. Who's De Resta related to? He's, he's got some ancestry. De Resta is related to... Um, isn't he related to... Uh, oh, good. You're drawing a blank. Remember. You're drawing a blank as I well. Was gonna say, I was going to say Frank Eaty, but I'm not sure that's right. Frank Eaty sounds right. Uh, it sounds right to me. The chat room will tell us th- in just a moment. Um, no, I think, I think yeah. if I remember correctly, there is some connection. Either that or the fact they've both got Italian names and come from Scotland, you know. But um, no, I, I don't think there's any Brazilian links there. <laughs> So uh, if the we trouble with, the yeah. trouble with motor racing is it's very very incestuous, you know. So we've had three Fittipaldi's race Formula One cars so far. Frankiti, um, yeah. The chat room's yelling at us that it was it's Frankiti. There we go. Um, but if we stay with Haas, uh, we've got Mazepin has also been confirmed 
in at Haas next season. A lot of people feel like the timing of that news, you know, was well placed to kind of sneak it in because they feel like people might not be happy. And commentators and um, pundits such as myself sitting in my shed might go, oh, here we go again. It's another stroll. It's another Latifi. This isn't good for the sport. Um, is there reason, or any other reason to think that it's not that? Because that makes three. Yes. Really? Okay, yes, good. I'm listening. Now, I think, and I'm happy to go on the record with this, I think that everyone is underestimating Nikita Mazepin. I think he's really quite good. And yes, his daddy's a billionaire, but just because your daddy's a billionaire doesn't mean you can't be good too. Um. And that's true, you know, to, to be fair, you've got to be fair to Lance Stroll. He led a race, he put it on pole. So he's not a total idiot, is he? You know, Joe, turn your phone binging? off. No, it isn't is me, me binging. Is I it, don't know. Is it the professional broadcaster pinging? I've, or is it you? I have no idea. It's no. probably somebody being disruptive. Definitely blaming you. Is it Toto? Uh, oh, come, oh, I love this live text. Who is it? Is it breaking news? No comment as to who it is. So. <laughs> Uh, it's not breaking news, but it is somewhat interesting. So, Aww. All right, come on then. Okay, come there on. We go. You were defending Mazepin. I'm not defending Mazepin. I'm just saying I think that people should be a little bit more aware of that. If you've watched him in Formula 2, which not many people have, this year he has done a remarkable job. He's done far better than Giotto, and Giotto is no slouch. And, um, and I think that he's shown uh, above and beyond levels of abnormal levels of talent so yes his daddy's a billionaire but i think he's he's actually quite good so i think we might be surprised or some people might be surprised and then i can look back and say aren't i clever i thought of that and of course adversely if it's if he's not any good you can all say what an idiot that joe saywood is so yep and you'll be the first person who's ever said that joe it's not like so it's fine (laughs) i i have very broad shoulders (laughs) um there's obviously a, a bit of negative baggage since the announcement we've heard all sorts of scuffles in his past from uh, certain behaviors all the way to on track um aggression and physical aggression as well so he does come with a, a little bit of a reputation yeah, yeah he he punched somebody uh in formula three i guess um and i did have a chat with him about it i said what on earth were you doing and he because he, he speaks english with a beautiful accent I don't know where he went to school, but he's he, he's very poised in English. And he said, yes, it wasn't wasn't really clever of me, was it? I'll have to try harder in the future. And I said, yes, that's exactly what you have to do, because punching other competitors really isn't acceptable. So, um, yeah, I think, I don't know, we'll see how he does. But, yeah, I mean, you can, a lot of, a lot of very good drivers are very fiery and passionate. And if you go back into the careers, you will find occasions when, People punch people. Alain Prost is famous for having assaulted another kart racer. Um, and so, you know, there's all kinds of um, things like that. It's just what, what it is, is it shows the, the kind of level of aggression that is required to be competitive. And a lot of these guys are aggressive, you know, they, they don't necessarily come across like that. But Charles Leclerc is a pretty aggressive fellow. Esteban Ocon knows how to be aggressive, but they come across as pretty charming outside the car, you know. But if you look at the way they drive, you can see, you can, and you can see George doing it. You can see Alex doing it. You can see Pierre Gasly. They all do it because that's what it takes. You know, they, they, they don't let after you types into Formula One. You know, oh, please go ahead. 
Yeah, you're making a good defence of it. I'm I'm going to go ahead on the record and say if you punch people at work, you're you're a knobhead. Like whatever your job is, bus driver, driver, hmm. fireman. Yeah, but yes and no. I mean, that's a. Yeah, I, I suppose there's an argument there. I don't can't say I've ever punched anybody as a jet. I, actually, that's not true. That's not true. I did punch a marshal once, um, but that was that was a French marshal, and he was unreasonable. Oh well, and, that's fine then, Joe. As long as he was French. No. Gee, <laughs> no, it was, oh, goodness, because there was no other way of explaining it at that time. Um, <laughs> no, just a quick aside. I take it then that you might not agree with my call on Saturday, Sunday um, on Sunday show to start looking at whether with all the money sloshing around formula one perhaps it's time marshals pick up a day rate for their their work at the tracks and then i was informed that actually at bahrain marshals are paid so why not everywhere else there there is enough money in formula one yes but it's it depends who pays because the the race promoters can't afford to to fund uh 100 marshals 200 marshals whatever it takes because they're already giving all their money for other things so it might work in Bahrain I think some of the marshals are in the army to be honest because um, I read in the paper this morning over breakfast that uh, two of them had been promoted for their role in the in the Grosjean fire which oh. we haven't talked about yet which no. I suppose we should talk about as it's a, sort of the thing of the moment isn't it we will definitely get that I just want to I just <laughs> want to address some of the concerns in in the chat room this is a you know a reasonably casual conversation on a podcast people are concerned that you know we're defending um but basically workplace assault went absolutely not. Um, I, like I said, I think that makes you a, a knobhead. And I'm certainly knowing about that story. You know, I'm watching Mazepin with that affecting my view of him. Um, and no, absolutely mistake. X podcast is not condoning or defending assault in any way. Assault is bad kids. And I'm sure Joe agrees. I do up to a point, but you know, uh... <laughs> No, no, but a, comp- a competitive sporting environment is not a workplace in the same way that an office is a workplace. So you, you people get fiery in competitive sports. So, yes, I, I'm happy to defend. I don't believe in punching one another in an office, for sure not. But um, I don't think you can necessarily equate a, a, a football pitch um, with an office but there we are some people can and i maybe there's also there's a generational thing there too there's always you know the younger generations have different views on lots of things <laughs> and uh, and i'm just and what am i talking about i'm i'm an ex-soldier i have definitely punched and been punched at work so okay uh, objections noted to the chat room your your point is very clear and you're absolutely right uh, we should lead off um this next segment now by talking about Roman Grosjean and the extraordinary incident we saw and I have to admit Joe I'm still a little bit like raw from it because the emotion between knowing he was okay and initially seeing not even the fireball from before the fireball the trajectory into the barriers looked immediately awful and I held my breath and then the explosion I just assumed I'd seen someone die Um, and it was a very long wait indeed to find out he was safe and secure um but like you were saying to me offline, you know, in the press room, there's not many people there who've been around long enough to see a car burst into flames. I think, I think the whole F1 well, it's, world. It's not just yeah. it's not just the press room; it's the whole of the F1 world. I think yeah. probably less than five percent. I think even less than that probably have ever been to a race meeting where a car burst into flames when it crashed. In the press room, there were two of us. And uh, that was 22 people. It was a very small press corps, but normally. Um, 
the press have been around longer than most of the rest because we just stick around and don't go away. But in this particular case, there were just two of us. And it, there was a distinct difference in, in, in reaction um, to, uh, from, from the different people. Because when you've seen it before and you've lived through it before, uh, you do have a different reaction. Um, and I've, I've actually seen it a couple of times, not outside Formula One um, as well. And, uh, and it's, part of, it's part of what, you know, it's part of our job. And so I know that sounds kind of callous or cold. No, or no, whatever you no, want no, no, that's fair. But you just, you, what I do um, is I'm, you know, absolutely uh, intent on finding out every possible fact that I can, particularly this year when we can't go into the paddock. So, you know, for example, the very first thing I did when we started seeing photographs is I was taking photographs of the telly, of the car and whatever I could see so that you can analyze what you're seeing. And, you know, there's a level of calmness in there as a professional journalist, making decisions that other people are sort of, uh, running around like headless chickens in a panic and you're just going how can you know what can i do to make this um you know understand this better and as a result of that we were able to understand very quickly about the halo having you know cut through the barrier and all this sort of stuff because although you know if you're on the live feed um in the world you see it it, it happens so fast you don't necessarily register it but if you've got a photograph of what you've seen then you can begin to understand a little bit so that's the kind of thing you do normally in a big accident i just go straight out into the paddock and i and i'm at the at the uh, at the heart of what's happening so i can find out more uh sometimes when i was in my younger days i would go to the scene of the accidents to to work it all out um <clears throat> but you can't generally do that these days um but, you know, information is, at moments like that, information can get, people panic, people start talking, people start tweeting, um, and a lot of uh, things happen that are not correct. So the most important thing is to make sure that every bit of information that you put out or give out or talk to or any information you hear, you can say, hang on a minute, that's not right, to another journalist and explain why it's not right. That all helps in the in the overall scheme of things. And, you know, I think that that's just part of a long time experience in the sport. Um, and, you know, and it really helps, particularly in this information age where everything is moving so fast. Uh, you don't want to have all the all the sort of harem scarem stories that appear, you know, the fuel tank on Grosjean's car did not fundamentally explode. It wasn't a big. It wasn't a big enough fire. For ex for example, it looked like a very big fire, but I'll bet you that when they do the analysis, there is a quite a lot of fuel still left in it. So what exploded? The fuel well, lines. I think, yeah, I think that elements because fuel tanks are not just a sort of empty bathtub. There's a hundred kilos of fuel, but there are compartments inside the the fuel tank as well. Uh, I think I saw one photograph that would seem to suggest that. The breather valve on the um, on the fuel tank wasn't there after the impact, so it may well have been detached, and fuel will have spilled out from that. But the thing about petrol is that when it goes up, it's very spectacular, and it can be very small amounts. If you remember that fire uh, that Max Verstappen had in the pits way back when, Joss Verstappen. 
Jos Verstappen yeah. in 94. It looked like a huge conflagration. Yeah, it's amazing. But actually, but actually, it was only a very small amount of fuel that mm. got out. But it sprayed everywhere, and therefore, you know, it looked far more dramatic. Um, so I think that that wasn't even close to being half what was in. And uh, you, you've actually, I've heard a number of other experienced Formula One people, engineers as well, saying, no, no, that wasn't the whole fuel tank. Mm. Uh, but I think the so, difference between the Jos Verstappen one was it was it was this flash. And yeah. um, and I had that poster up in my room for ages. It was a, a double page spread in, in the Telegraph, my dad's choice of paper, just to be clear. Um, yeah. With this, though, there was a sustained burning. Like, it really yes, was, was on fire. Like, if, if, he yeah. didn't, if he didn't get out of that fire, he was going to burn. No, no, no. He, and this is something else, I think. Everyone is talking about a miracle. I wouldn't call it a miracle. Uh, I wouldn't even say he was lucky uh, because all the safety things that, that were designed to help all helped. I think where, where it was uh, extraordinary was the fact that he got out despite having uh, a very, very small gap between the cockpit and the barrier that he'd gone through to climb through. So I think his, one of his big problems, there are two things I'd like to know the answer to. One is that he came out with one shoe, one boot not on, and I'd like to know what happened to the boot. It may well be that he had to detach his foot from it because the boot was jammed by the shunt. I don't know. Um, then, of course, if you look, you'll see the foam surround uh, in, the, in the wreck. And I think the foam surround probably didn't help. It probably did help in the impacts, but it don't necessarily help when he was trying to sort of wiggle his way through this gap with a, fl- with a fire going on around him, you know. And you could see how intense that fire was because Ian Roberts couldn't, you know, he did, he did absolutely the maximum he could do. Um, and, he, and, and as he said, there, there's a limit. I could go into the fire, but that is not the, the, the best use of my abilities. Because if, I, if I'm a man down, or I, if a medical delegate is down, who the hell is organising everything? Yeah, first rule of first responders is don't become a casualty yourself. Uh, that's absolutely yes. key. And you could see him. He was right at the limit of the heat. He was assessing everything. The second he saw a figure moving, he, went, he then went into the flames. Because then it was a calculated yeah. risk to go into the flames. Oh, I still yeah. can't get over it. Still can't get over watching it. Um, Joe. And I think the other thing that was worth watching is that just, just the just little things that were so clever and so uh, instinctive. Alan van der Merwe arriving on the scene as R- Roman and Ian were stumbling out of the fire. And, and Alan's first reaction was to turn and spray them both with extinguisher, which is probably down to training more than anything else. They've probably been through scenarios like this, but he was just making sure they weren't still on fire um, and things like that. Just little things um, that the whole thing was extraordinary. I think that there are two things that need to be looked at. One is the type of barrier it was, but I'm not sure that any other type of barrier would have done a better job uh, because there's give there's, I mean, this is not <coughs> justification for a metal barrier, but there is give in a metal barrier that concrete doesn't have. And the impact without that give might have been fatal. So you, know, you can say the safer barrier where you have two barriers and something between them might have done more good, but it's still a concrete barrier, the first one. And, and then the other one is Tech Pro. Um, and Tech Pro with that kind of force and that kind of angle would have exploded. Uh, it wouldn't have, it would have, it, it, it might have been the right choice. But when all is said and done, you know, after the event, we can all be wise about what the right choice was. But I think um, 
where that barrier was cited, there is no reason to predict an impact. There hasn't for 15 years or 15 races over 16 years. We've never seen a crash at that point. We've never seen a car going into the barriers at that point. It's far enough away from the corner. Anyone who spins going over the curb on the other side and spins across and hits the wall is going at far less velocity and a different angle. He just, because he tangled with Kvyat, he went in at a very acute angle at very high speed. And, you know, you can't make everything 100% safe. You just can't. As much as you want to and as much as you can do everything, you know, there's always going to be something afterwards you'll say, that could have been better. And the other thing that needs to be looked at is why there was a fire. Um, Because, you know, there shouldn't in theory, have been a fire, even with the the level of impact, which was massive, absolutely massive. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi guys, Spanners here. We're just going to take a quick break from Joe whilst me and Matt present a segment uh, from our friends at SO Fuels. Here it is. Hi guys, we just want to take a moment to talk about fuel with you today. And this segment is brought to you by SO. SO have launched a new 99 octane fuel SO Synergy Supreme Plus 99, Matt, are super exciting because SO also supply the Red Bull F1 team their fuel. Yeah, and it's interesting to note that the rules in Formula One specify a, a petrol or a fuel that can actually be run in family cars. They have very specific rules about it. And even though the fuel that Red Bull uses is not what you're going to find at the pump, if push came to shove, yeah. one of the technicians could siphon off a liter or so to make it home in their family carrier. Right. So to be clear, uh, Red Bull aren't putting SO Synergy Supreme Plus 99 in their race cars. They use a special race fuel, but it is made by the same engineers as this new consumer fuel. But it's really interesting. I had no idea that Formula One fuels 
had to be compatible. And like I could go, I could go sneak into the paddock, take a liter of their fuel and stick it in my car. And it would work. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was a change from when they used to put basically um, uh, toluene, which is rocket fuel. FIA decided that wasn't good for the environment. So they Fair. changed the rules. Um, and also, what is this um, 99 octane fuel? Um, that works on me. If you specify a high number, I'll just be like super impressed. But I'm like, wow, 99 octane? Is that a very high amount of octane or a very low amount of octane? Well, as an American, I totally agree with your sentiment. Bigger is always better. And in this case, it really is better. The higher the octane number, the more resistant to knock the fuel is. Good. And that's something that you absolutely want with a modern engine. I was going to say, we all know what knock means. Just throw that term in there as if we all know. What's knock? So knock is bad. Well, knock is bad. Um, and I, I thought about this and I decided that the best analogy would be a parent pushing a kid on a swing. So if I'm pushing the kid on a swing, I don't want to push while the kid is still coming back towards me, do I? No, right, yes. That would be bad. And if I wait right at the top and push, I don't have a lot, I don't get a lot of juice going on the swing. The best place to push is when the kid is already started to come down because then you can like get them to go all the way around the swing set, right? Oh, wait, and I see what you're doing. You're comparing this to a cylinder going up and down. In the engine. Bingo. You <laughs> okay. totally got it. So knock happens when the when the bang occurs before the piston is in the optimum place. Right. And that's bad for a multitude of reasons. Tell me them. Most of which have to do with how much damage it will do to your engine over time. Modern engines run high compression ratios and especially turbocharged engines can easily be damaged if the detonation of the fuel, which really, when we talk about 99 octane, we're talking about burn and not detonation. And that's one of the key differences. And that's why the higher octane is better. It burns more evenly. Mm. The lower the octane number, the more of a bang you get and the more prone to knock the fuel is. Ah, right. So a higher number is better. And this is Esso's highest octane fuel um 99 octane so synergy supreme plus 99 fuel helps then uh, with maintenance and i guess engine life i'm assuming less knock means uh, a healthier engine yes uh, the spark plugs pitting heat damage even the cylinder heads and cylinder can eventually be affected by knock so it's very good that, to reduce it but it's also important to remember that even your fuel that you get at the pump contains detergents yeah. and additives to reduce friction. And in fact, Esso's fuel contains double, their 99 octane contains double the amount of detergent as their, as their regular fuel does. So it's going to keep your engine even cleaner. It's going to keep your, uh, your inlet valves cleaner. It's going to keep your cylinder walls cleaner. And that's going to have an added effect on the life of your engine and the amount of power you can derive from the fuel. Well, we've concentrated on looking after the engine. It's also worth noting that if your engine is specified for high octane performance fuels, then you will get a performance boost from this. But for consumers like me, it's worth noting that if you collect your nectar points, you will get a six times nectar points boost if you fill up and pay using the Esso app. So go and try the new fuel at Esso, Esso Synergy Supreme Plus 99 to unlock an extra level in your engine at sites nationwide, excluding the Northwest. Now, 
Back to Joe Saywood. So you can't say so you can't be a hundred percent everywhere, safe everywhere. But what tends to happen is when there is an incident or a near miss, which I think we can almost count this as a, a near miss in industry and in motorsport. You then you then try and close up that particular gap. Now, the last time where we sadly lost Jules Bianchi uh, to a head injury underneath uh, moving um, underneath the trackside equipment, two things were done. Uh, one was, you know, everyone was very against any kind of mechanical equipment on track while there, where there were drivers going round. Uh, we saw it recently, did not like. The second thing, of course, more famously, uh, was the halo. So, you, you know, and that's worked. People thought that was an overreaction um, to the Jules Bianchi thing and going, oh, it's never going to happen again. But, but it also, has. You, you have to bear in mind as well that there is an element of logic in the tractors that, you know, if you have a static crane, which is the only other choice, the static crane involves more people being required. It involves more time because you have to have people on the track waving into the sky to get the thing where they want it to be. There's, there are a lot of things that make the tractor a better choice. Because also on these circuits, to have static cranes on every single part of the circuit is a massive, massive uh, ask. And, and so, you know, I think the, the, the problem with the, the Bianchi accident is, yes, there, there was a tractor there. It was so nearly not there. That's the sad thing about it. It, he, it was just, just short of being clear when he came in. But the, the the fundamental cause of that was driver going too fast in the circumstances. And you can't go away from that. That is that is what fundamentally was the cause of that crash. And it's sad, but that's, you know, it, it's just the way it is. And um, we'll see what the, the investigation comes up with uh, with the Grosjean incident. But I think we were very, and, and Ian Roberts said uh, on Sunday night, um, that was really, really close because if Roman hadn't been able to wiggle his way out, it, that, that was it. There was nobody going to go in on the other side. There was no way he was going to be saved. And Roman saved himself more than anything else. Um, and, and, you know, if that gap, if he hadn't been able to get through that gap, you know, uh, so that's a, it's a really close near miss. It's not a miracle. Um, and it, and I don't think there was much luck involved in it. But, uh, you know, obviously, yeah, that's the initial reaction is it's a miracle. Well, Roman Grosjean saved himself, as did everybody who campaigned for the halo, or the survival cells uh, and all that kind of thing. And I think it was DeJobman put in there and said, um, in our live chat and said, it's not a miracle, it's science. And I think that's, yeah, in, that's entirely fair. Uh, but the halo argument... It's got to be done now. It's dead, as far as you're concerned. We're we're keeping them. We're keeping them forever. Oh, for, for, there is no. Um, given what has happened, there is no justifiable argument against them now. Um, <clears throat> if if you are saying that people are not allowed to die in racing cars, if you're saying people are allowed to die in racing cars, you can have racing without halos. I mean, it's as simple as that. But in the modern age, where where um, people aren't allowed to die doing anything. Um, you know, it, it's except for oddly enough, jumping off mountains, but that's another story. Um, <clears throat> you know, in certain activities, you're not allowed to kill people live on television. I suppose is the uh, is the truth <laughs> of it. But, well, this um, is, isn't it? 
Death has death, death only has to win once. We have to win every day. Uh, why not? Yeah. Why not win as often as possible? No, no, I absolutely agree. Mm. And I think that Damon Hill made a very good point on Twitter. He said, you know, people say that the halo is an ugly thing on a racing car. And I agree. But it's less ugly than a dead racing driver. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Shall we shall we move uh, away from such morbid things and talk a bit more of the sport of stuff? Now, um, I, I wonder where you were and how you consumed the Sergio Perez press conference yesterday. Uh, he seemed to be doing it from his hotel room. It was terrible. Uh, did you catch that live? No, no, I didn't. Have you subsequently caught up with it? No. I have caught up right, with okay. it a little bit. Uh, the, the, the fact is that if you're working as a as a journo in Formula One at the moment, um, it, it, a press conference is just, it, it's, it's uh, everything is, everyone is getting the same stuff. So, so you don't actually need to listen to all of them because you're going to see it later on anyway. So <clears throat> unless you have a, an ultimate deadline, there's actually no point. And asking questions is dumb because all you're doing is giving other people the answer. <laughs> I mean, I did one the other day with Gunter Steiner. The first time I, I have avoided doing it for a long time all season because I don't want to ask the same questions and give everyone the answer. But I, this time I just thought I'm going to try it and see what happens. It was in one of the sort of team things, not an FIA thing. So I asked Gunter a question. He gave a great answer. And boom, next thing you know, it's all over the internet before I've actually used it. And that's not my fault. It's before you might say, well, you're a lazy bastard. You know, you don't, you don't react fast enough. But I was doing it for a client and the client's deadlines were not 10 minutes later. You know, so it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. It, it's, um, I don't know. Anyway, you get the same stuff a little while later and somebody else does yeah. the work of transcribing it for you. you sure. Know? And I'm not sure how your Spanish is because he, he conducted it as, as he's completely entitled to do in his native language. Um, so mm-hmm. everyone's there with their pigeon Spanish trying to like tease out, oh, he said Red Bull, he said Red Bull. Um, but basically it was like, um, it was a bit of a nothingy press conference. It was odd. He, he said, he reiterated that if he didn't get the Red Bull drive, he was going to take a, a sabbatical and that there wasn't any other options within F1 and he probably wouldn't do another motorsport because he'd want to come back. But one interesting thing he did say is that he had options lined up for 2022 and possibly a reserve I can, driver I role. I can believe Yeah, that. okay. There's one thing I know is that he certainly, he's, he hasn't appeared anywhere on the, um, on the radar in the US. I have, I have sort of... Uh, yeah, I, I just I always keep an eye on that because I deal with that in my uh, weekly newsletter. And uh, there is no indication at all of Perez talking to anybody. Grosjean um, is talking to IndyCar teams or was. Um, and uh, Kevin is going to drive an IMSA sports car. So um, for Chip Ganassi, he'll be a, a Cadillac driver. Um, so, you know, you can... You can pick up these things, but there's absolutely no sign of Perez over there. So uh, it's a sensible thing for him to do um, because he's doing such a good job over here that it's clear that it would be wrong if he's not in Formula One. Having said that, um, there has to be a place for him. You know, there has to be a place. I don't think Kevin Magnussen is doing a bad job. I don't, I mean... I don't think anybody's doing a really bad job in Formula. There is one, but I'd be unclear. No, 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 no. I don't think Haas is doing a bad job, actually. There's one driver who I think shouldn't be there, um, but that's it. I mean, Lance has done remarkable 
things much more than I thought he would do. And I don't think you can argue once he's, you know, he's, I believe he's led more laps than everybody else this year, apart from Lewis and Valtteri. I know, but it's true. Whether you like it or not, it's true. I mean, Lance is, Lance not only took pole position, but he led half a Grand Prix under pressure from Perez. And you can't say that's a bad racing driver. Sorry. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's a world champion, but I am saying, you know, he's, he can certainly do um, the job decently. I think there's one guy, I don't necessarily, I mean, it's fairly obvious who it is, I think, but um, Williams. Oh, okay. Because I've got about five candidates in my head, but you've only got the one, Latifi. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of why there'd be five candidates of people doing bad jobs because I don't see them. Really? Okay. Uh, okay. I really don't. I really don't. I think people underestimate what it is these guys do, first of all. Secondly, I think they underestimate the the necessity to have your feet under the desk, as you'd say. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and to be integrated into a team, which is what Lewis is always banging on about. Team integration is is absolutely key to success. Okay, so we've got some candidates, Joe, in the, the live chat. So you keep those candidates yeah. rolling in of people you think are doing a bad a bad job this year, and we'll see what Joe has to say about it. Um, with Latifi, though, very similar last season, people, I don't, can't remember if, I'm not saying you said it, but lots of people going, oh, yeah, no, 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 he might be a paid driver, but, but he actually comes with a lot of skill. No, and now no, the he term... Qualified for, he, mm. He's qualified for a super license, and therefore he has the right to be there. But if you watched him in the rain in Istanbul, he was absolutely embarrassingly slow I and mean, it was ridiculous how slow he was um so i i think the super license system is very good but you know there are still a possibility of people getting in who aren't quite at the level i'm not saying he's useless at all i'm just saying he's not quite at f1 level um and i don't know how you can get around that because you know, what, what more can you do than, you know, if you won a Formula 2 championship or finished second, I can't remember which one it was now. I think he was second, wasn't he? Um, that's pretty good qualification for the job. Yep, fair enough. Um, is there a, a standards issue in F2? Do you feel the standards in F2 are high enough generally as a championship? It depends on the year. Mm. It depends yes. on the year. Some years are better than others. This year, I think we have a very uh, good collection of young drivers. Um I think less last year was less so. Um, but this year and two years ago, three years ago, um, whenever George, when, George, it was Georgie won it, wasn't it? Your brain's George going. Russell, yes. That was the, yeah, took George, a very strong that year. That was a good yeah, year. Yeah. That was a good year. Uh, the, the Nick de Vries year wasn't quite as good. And I think this year is very good. Um, and I think there's seven or eight people in there who – certainly warrant formula one and okay. um yeah go on no, look it's a really good interview waving the, your hand about the, the chat room just sometimes makes the argument for me uh so you're like joe Minz Miz in there is saying was latifi not in f2 for like four or five years that that accusation gets thrown at jolian palmer a fair bit as yeah. well so i mean if you've got the cash to stay in f2 like you said yeah. just just stay in there until there's a lower quality field and you're a champ or second well, that's true, but you've still got to do it. And, you know, even if you've got all the money in the world, you've still got to drive fast and use it. And and being experienced, Giotto's been there for four years too, hasn't he? Um, and we know he's good. We know he can win, but he's not 
constantly at the front. And this year he's been struggling. Now there are different reasons for different things always, but you know, motor racing's never been fair in that respect. Money has always bought you good things. Um, Mick Schumacher has never been driving a bad team. No. And, and he's, is he, is he confirmed, confirmed, or is it super duper rumor confirmed? But he's going to be Mazepin's, Mazepin's teammate. Yes. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm utterly convinced of that. I think the reason there's a delay is that Haas is trying to squeeze more money out of Ferrari. <laughs> that would be my assessment of the situation. Um, but he will be confirmed there. Because it, it's interesting to note that uh, Callum Eilot said yesterday on Twitter that he definitely knows he's not getting an F1 drive. Well, I could have told him that about a month ago. But obviously he didn't want to know that. Um, but, you know, I think all these guys, they remain optimistic until they're actually told, no, it's not possible. So he's obviously now been told, no, it's not possible, which means that the only place he was going to go, which was Haas, <laughs> um, has two drivers who are already decided. So the other one will be Mick Schumacher. So apparently Eilot was the driver that got punched by uh, Mazepin as well. So that's a, a double punch that, in the face. That, that is actually, yep. Mm-hmm. Now you come to mention it, I remember. It's good having a live chat room. They tell us all the things. <laughs> they know all the things. Okay, so drivers who they think haven't done um, a good job. Antonio Giovinazzi, says Infinite, Infinite TK, should not be at Alpha. He's been terrible. Well, he's beaten Kimi Raikkonen, who was a world champion. So yeah, that's terrible, isn't it? 45 years ago, though, Joe. No, but even so, Kimi's still quick on his day. You, you think Kimi so, Raikkonen could stand up to I the think, top drivers now? I mean, I think I think Kimi still is capable of doing a very good job. I think that Giovinazzi was disappointing for the first year and a half, but in the second half of this year, I think he's he's got better. Um, now, I think I think he's in Formula One next year because he's Italian fundamentally, and Fiat didn't want to be seen to be throwing the only Italian out of Formula One. And that's probably more the reason he's still going to be there. But I don't think he's done an appalling job. He could have been better. But again, I think people underestimate what Kimmy's been doing. Don't yawn, Spanners. It's very. I was off camera. I was off camera. Look, like in my defence, I'm a free. I'm a freelance presenter, and you're getting me to do a podcast first thing in the afternoon. It's it's almost against my human rights. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm a freelance reporter and I, I work all night long sometimes, so I'm not you're not gonna get any sympathy out of me. Ah, but I'm <laughs> I'm I'm famously I face I face plant the computer on a regular basis, so you know. I, I'm famously a, a little yeah. A which is impressed here, you know. <laughs> uh, pinned onto your pinned onto your face. Uh, I guess before we yeah. leave you, Joe, uh, to head about your evening and the nice bottle of plonk um that has been provided by uh, Callum. And um, whoever it was chucked a fiver in the super chat earlier on. Um, we we sort of we hinted at Perez talking about his plans for 2022. Obviously, my social network in F1 is a, a lot lower than yours, but I've been hearing nothing but Red Bull and Perez have been very tantalisingly close to signing a deal for a long time. Am I, are we off the mark here? Yes. N- not a chance. No, I didn't say not a chance, but I think that <laughs> Red Bull. Um, first of all, Red Bull's not one uh, coherent form. It's various people with different opinions. So you have the race team, you have the management, and you have Austria. Um, so it's not just, say, Red Bull as a whole makes a decision. It's you know, Usually it'd be the management who then gets Austria behind them. 
the race team might not like it. So you have different opinions within the different things. So while one lot might be saying Perez is the answer, maybe he is the answer for them. But, you know, Austria might want to have uh, Alexander because he's Thai and half the company is owned by a Thailand family. And it's a very big seller in Asia. I mean, there's all kinds of other elements. I don't think he was on the podium, <laughs> on the podium for the second time this year. Okay. He hasn't done the world's greatest job, but it's a very difficult job. As we have seen, Danny Kvyat failed at it. Pierre Gasly failed at it. And they're not slouches. Pierre Gasly won a Grand Prix not so very long ago. You know, so I think we're looking at decisions which aren't necessarily always logical, but you know, a driver in that situation up against Max Verstappen can crumble mentally quite easily. And I don't think Alex has crumbled. I think he's been he's been on the edge a bit recently, but I think that he's he's a tough cookie, and I think that he is doing a fairly decent job. Now, could he have done better? Yes. But does he deserve to stay? Yes. And if Red Bull gets rid of him, are people like me not going to say, well, it's a one-car team, isn't it? Yeah. Now, on the, on the other hand, we are going to see a big push next year. Red Bull is going to push very heavily with a new Honda engine, Honda's last stand, blah de blah blah They want to win going out on a high. Can they do it? Maybe. Can they do it with one-and-a-half drivers? Probably not. But that doesn't mean the album won't get better and become <laughs> – you know, a proper serious number two, which I think he's becoming bit by bit. So it is, there's all these different things to be taken into account. Um, and, I, and I don't know, maybe Perez is a better choice. Maybe he's not. But then again, at the end of the day, what the opinions all are don't really matter because there's only one opinion that matters, and that's a man called Mr. Matterschitz. He He will make that decision ultimately. And maybe maybe he has a soft spot for Sergio Perez or Alexander Albon. I don't know. I need to roll back a little bit. You know, you said, well, he's got a podium. And look, he's got a podium just now, two, a second two one. Two podiums, yeah. Hmm. Uh, how, you, you're giving a lot of weight to to that podium at the weekend. And I'll, I'll risk being called a hater. I'm really not. But Max Verstappen, his interview was, how happy could he really be 40 seconds behind his teammate? Uh, how badly would he have had to have done on Sunday to not get a podium. Like he was, he, that was, that, yeah, that's a gizzit, isn't it? Isn't that podium a gizzit? So, yeah, but at, but at the end of the day, a podium is still a podium. Okay. You know, a result is a result. How far back you are, you know, you can say, well, at the weekend, Max Verstappen was only 1.5 seconds behind Hamilton at the finish, which is true. But it, it's not a proper reflection of what happened in the race because there was a safety car. You know, you, you can say all kinds of things. But the fact is, what counts in the end of in the overall scheme at the end is what's on the board. That's all that matters. Who got the points? Boom. And, you know, there's there are arguments both ways as to whether whether he should stay. But I think um, I don't know the answer to that. I think in the longer term, I think Red Bull would be wise to have a solid number two, not just to change it all again. On the other hand, I think that Perez is an extremely good driver who deserves to be in a, in a good team, as he keeps proving time and time again. You know, But what's interesting for me 
is a year on from now, okay, let's say, let's say you're Sergio Perez. Mm-hmm. What is your best chance of driving 2022? Mercedes? Renault. Really? Yeah. You hmm. think Fernando Alonso <laughs> is going to be stable and happy if things don't go his way? He never has been in the past. If Esteban Ocon goes faster than him, um, I can imagine that Fernando will start playing Fernando as his usual games and getting upset and throwing things about uh, and being disruptive and assaulting team bosses or whatever, not assaulting team bosses, but, you know, jostling. Let's say jostling. That's a good idea. Um, And uh, just because he's such an aggressive individual and he's not a great team player. So I think that there's trouble potentially brewing there. So if you go in as a Renault reserve driver, it might be a smart move. Might not be, but you never know. And maybe, maybe in uh, since he left Formula One, Fernando's calmed down a bit. I don't think so because he left Toyota in rather interesting circumstances as well. He did. Uh, oh, just a little bit, yeah. From what I hear, um, because he's just very aggressive and wants to win all the time, you know, and. Um, so that, I think, is if you're looking to, to go as high up the grid as you can and you're trying to sort of figure it, um, that would be one. The other one might be Aston Martin, his old team, because maybe Sebastian uh, is not going to be as good as they like to think he is. Maybe he is. We don't know. I mean, you know, he came bouncing back after a very poor year, his last year at Red Bull, and, mm-hmm. and was then competitive again at Ferrari. But, you know, he's older now, so... You know, there are two possibilities straight away. Um, I can't really see Sergio at Mercedes, although, you know, maybe that would be a good choice. Well, uh, the thing is, if Hamilton's still got a say in it, doesn't Hamilton want, you know, a a jobbing pro, a journeyman, not to be unkind to Perez? I don't think he does. I think if you, if, I think Lewis wants to be pushed. He wants to be pushed. And every so often when he gets a bit lazy, and sometimes you see that, you have seen that in recent years. At the start of the season, Valtteri's done better than Lewis. And Lewis has mm. gone, oh, I've got to get my act together here because he's actually quite good. Um, and then generally speaking, he'll come back and beat Valtteri. But every so often, Valtteri will pull something out. And he keeps Lewis on his toes. Because racing drivers can get lazy. You know, it's, I, that may sound a, 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 a tough thing to say. But I think if you actually sat them down and, and grilled them, you would probably without meaning to reference Roma at this too point. Soon. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Um, I think if you if you sat them down and grilled them, some of them would admit that um, that they do get lazy or they just, you know, they're mm. not, their mind's not on the job all we, the time. We could call it's, it focus, couldn't we, Joe? You can call it focus if you like, mm. yes. And uh, Joe, uh, fantastic chat with you this afternoon. Uh, you will be coming back to the shed again very, very soon on Thursday at 5pm UK time as part Thursday of... Thursday uh, next week, you should add, perhaps. Is it? Are you sure? I think so. No, we scheduled oh, it for... It's this week. <laughs> oh, is it? Sure, yeah. Oh, blimey. <laughs> Best oh. check the diaries, but let's <laughs> I assume... I thought it was for next week. Okay, let's assume we got that right. Um, if you go to Miss Apex... <laughs> 
podcast forward slash uh, mistapexpodcast.com forward slash Joe. Um, you can get a ticket for whatever day that is. And I'm really hoping that I've got that right. Uh, but where you come on a virtu- virtual live audience, it's as close to your physical live audiences as we can get it. You have to provide your own drinks and snacks. Uh, however, we've done maybe seven of those this year and they've all been really relaxed. They've really been fun and the feedback has been fantastic. Oh, and they're, they're great fun for me too. There's less spanners, everybody, by the way. He, uh, oh. he just, he just, he just chooses who who will say the next question. He doesn't get to have an opinion. No, so much. no, no. I'm just the MC, and I will uh, organise who speaks next and who asks the question, and then bite my tongue as Joe says all the things I disagree with. That's why I have to yell at him so loudly here uh, and disagree with everything. <laughs> uh, but Joe, um, your your blog is available. It's the Green Notebook. Uh, remind me where to find that. Basically, if we if we search Joe Saywood blog, we'll yeah, find I, it. I, I yeah. would normally say Joe blogs F one, but there is a glitch with that at the moment. Mm. So if you if you just do Joe Saywood F one, or actually Joe F one usually brings it up, I think, because um, mm. there aren't that many Joes in Formula One these days. And um, so yeah, you can read on the blog. Actually, I need to do something. I need to do a green notebook from this last weekend. I haven't done it yet. Mention mention me talking to me. It's a highlight, isn't it? Dropping in the shed that could in, in a fa- in a fashion in a fashion that could be an entry in the. I'm just saying, just a suggestion if you get writer's block. Um, I've got a thing to plug and promote too. You know, I've got a thing. Mm-hmm. Really, here at uh. Miss Apex Podcast, Joe. I'm going to send you the link, and you can ch- check it out if you want or not. We are really, really proud of the production we put together for round three of our latest iRacing competition. It has been put together wonderfully by Steve and the two Chrises. It looks for all the world like a TV motorsport broadcast and the racing is fantastic. So I'm going to put the link in the show notes of this episode and the podcast and I'm going to beg you all just to check it out, just to see what a shed outfit can do with an eSport. Can I Can I just um, add to this one? And that is if you go to flatoutpublishing.com, there's a video on that all about iRacing and how it started. Have ah. you seen that video? No, I haven't. You told me about it and I said I would definitely check it out and then I did Just didn't. go have a look sometime because <laughs> I was amazed by it, absolutely amazed by it. But um, there it is. It's uh, part of history now. So iRacing, yep, lots of followers in the world. Good. Uh, right, follow Joe at Joe Sayward on Twitter. Follow the show at Missed Apex F1 and me at Spanners Ready. Until we see you next, work hard. Uh, Be kind, which means not punching anyone in your workplace. And also remember to have fun. This was Inside F1 with me and Joe. Have a day at you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.